0: All right, so you have um, probably sung this song, heard this song, and if you're like me, you'll sing it to other people when they need to hear it. This song was written in 1988, Don't Worry, Be Happy, written and sung by Bobby McFerrin. Okay, all of you who just said Bobby McFerrin ruined my introduction, okay, because I thought you were going to say Bob Marley. And then I was going to have the opportunity to publicly tell you you're wrong. All right? So no, for those of you who said Bob Marley, it wasn't Bob Marley. Bobby McFerrin wrote that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. That's kind of worked itself into our common vernacular, you know, like, like I said, if you're like me, you'll sing it to someone if they need to hear it. I don't know if you've ever listened to that whole song or read the lyrics, kind of an odd song. Uh, One of the lyrics goes like this, ain't got no place to lay your head somebody came and took your bed, don't worry, be happy. The landlord say your rent is late, he may have to litigate, don't worry, be happy. Kind of an odd song if you read it. Just read it after church. Um, kind of an odd song, but that's the gist of it, okay? It's all these like problems, you've got trouble in life, your landlord's going to evict you, don't worry, Be happy. And if you read that song, to me, it's as frustrating as the popular advice nowadays that you'll hear from life coaches that I know most of us have, um, business gurus, when you ask the question, you know, how do I be successful in life? You'll hear this a lot from successful business people and gurus, or, how do I be successful in life? And they'll say, the key is gratitude. Now, they'll say something like that. Gratitude is the key. Being happy and content is the key. And it's frustrating because usually there's no reason behind it. There's no foundation to it. And in one sense, it's like, well, that's what I'm I'm trying to be successful and make more money so I can be happy. You know, so I can be grateful. Like, if I was already there, I wouldn't be asking you how to get there, you know? How do I be uh, uh, successful so that I can be happy? Here's the answer they'll give you. Just be happy. It's like, Okay, that doesn't really help. And it's kind of like that song. You're going to have problems in life. Uh, Your landlord might steal your bed or evict you, but don't worry. Be happy. But why not? Why shouldn't I worry? Because I have a lot to worry about. And often we get no response. Just don't worry. You know, why should I be happy? I have a lot to be sad about. I have a lot depressing me. Why should I be happy? And often we get no response. Psalm 33 this morning, as you will quickly see when we read it together, comes out the gate very strong, very intense, very very aggressive, telling you and I to be happy. And no, I'm not talking about as I... Use that word happy this morning. I'm not talking about the fleeting happiness, you know, uh, when you bite into a Snickers bar or whatever. I'm talking about this deep, unshakable happiness. The psalm comes out strong and aggressive saying, be deeply happy, have joy and gladness. But it tells us why. It comes out the gate strong saying, be happy, have joy, be glad, but then it tells us why we should be happy, why we should be glad. It gives us a pathway to it. It says, here is the pathway to your joy and your gladness, and it makes sense of joy in this world, as we will see. It makes sense of why in this world and in your life today, you can have justifiable joy, gladness, and happiness. So let's read the psalm together. If you would stand with me and let's read Psalm 33 together. Psalm 33 verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm." The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So, as you saw, if you look uh, at verses one, two, and three, you see what I mean. It comes out aggressive, right? Hey, all you Presbyterians, shout for joy in the Lord, all right? Praise befits the uprighteous. Verse two: Give thanks to the Lord with an instrument I couldn't identify if I saw it or heard it. Okay, the lyre. Make melody to him. Sing to him a new song. Don't just sing. This is the kind of joy that makes you sit down and I've got to write a new song to kind of express this joy and this glad to him, uh, this gladness to him. Play skillfully on the strings. Don't just don't just play that guitar. Play it well, and do it with loud shouts if you scan down you might have to turn your bible to verse 20 the psalm kind of ends the way it starts It says our soul waits for the lord he's our help and our shield our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name you can get the idea of what this psalm is this is a it's a psalm of joy it's a psalm of gladness it's a psalm of of intense joy an intense gladness that's producing new songs and music but why Why? It's a good question to ask this psalm. Why should I shout for joy? Why should I write uh, a new song? Why should I be grateful? Why should I be glad? What is the foundation here for this kind of uh, joy? I want this. I think you do too. When you read that, you—I'd love to be able to say that's where I'm at. That's where my Sunday's going. You know, but I had to get toddlers dressed this morning, so I don't feel that right now. You know, we want this kind of happiness. But we need the ground and the foundation uh, for it. We are desperate for it. We are desperate for this kind of joy, this kind of uh, happiness. And so it it comes out saying, be joyful, and it says it with intensity. So my question even gets ramped up. If you're going to tell me to be intensely joyous, intensely glad, I better have an intense reason for it. You've got to match that with an intense foundation. We are designed and desperate for happiness, joy, cheerful hearts. We are made for that, y'all. We are made for that. We are designed for it. We are desperate for it. So how do we get it? How do we get it? Let's start. Let's, let's look at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. I'm going to pull out various verses as we go through this psalm, because the psalmist is going to give us reason after reason after reason for why we should be as happy as he is telling us to be. What is that? What does verse 4 have to do with happiness? The psalmist just said that real happiness, unshakable happiness, is, is found in knowing that there is a God, there's not only a God, and there's not only a God at work, but that this God is good. So what he just said. Be happy, have cheerfulness of heart, be glad, because This God that you know is good. To better understand this, we need to look at what this is opposed to. This is opposed to gladness being found in mere earthly realities. Because you and I both know that when we look out on the world, it is often clouded with darkness and sin and corruption and chaos. And because of that, To make a a, a bold but just simply biblical statement from this psalm, it makes no sense to tell me in this life that I ought to be happy and glad if this chaotic, unjust, unloving, corrupt, dark world is all that there is. I mean, sure, yes, you can say when you enjoy a good meal, you're going to have this fleeting sense of happiness. Sure. Sure but it makes no sense to tell me, be unshakably happy if this corrupt, chaotic world is all that there is. And there is no good God over it, still at work and still at play in it. If injustice and unrighteousness get the last word, try to tell me to be happy throughout my life without sounding crazy. Christian happiness and gladness is the only happiness that makes sense. If you really think about it, it's the only happiness in life, it's the only unshakable joy that makes any sense. And it makes sense because this chaotic, unrighteous, unjust, unloving world is not all that there is. It's not my whole reality. It's not all that there is. Rather, there is an upright, faithful, righteous, loving God who is there, still at work, still at play. In this world. And so this means we can see through the dark clouds of sin and corruption throughout the world, and we can still see through that to a good God who is still there. And so maybe in the worst of times, there's still joy and gladness to be had. The psalmist continues, if you skip down to verse 6, again taking a couple verses from each section to make sense of it, says this in verse 6, he continues, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. The psalmist just added to what he just said, and he here says in verse 6 in this section that real happiness is found in knowing there's a God who started it all. Not just that there is this good God, but that this God started this whole thing, that he's behind it all, and that merely by speaking, he brought it all to be. This is opposed to gladness being found in randomness. Joy and gladness despite randomness. That's what this is opposed to. It makes no sense to tell me that I ought to be unshakably happy and joyful and glad if this chaotic world is all that there is and it's completely random. No meaning, no purpose, Who cares what the beginning is? Who cares what the end is? It's just utterly random. If my reality, if my life is utterly random, try to tell me to be unshakably happy through it without sounding crazy. What's there to be happy about? Christian happiness and gladness is the only happiness that makes any sense, and it makes sense because this chaotic, unrighteous, unjust, corrupt, dark world Is not random. Rather, there's an upright, faithful, righteous, just loving God behind it all working out a bigger story. Perhaps if there is a God who spoke all this into being and he's good, perhaps there's something bigger going on here. Perhaps there's something bigger going on here than just utter chaotic randomness. And if that's true, perhaps there's still joy and gladness to be had even in the worst of times. So this means that we can have joy and gladness in the most mundane or chaotic of events. Knowing that there is a starting point to all of this and there is a good God who is apparently still at work in it, doing something bigger. Now the psalmist adds to that in verse 10. Skip down to verse 10. He says this, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. He adds to what he just said, and here he says that real happiness is found in knowing there's a God who is still in control of all of it. This is uh, opposed not only to gladness being found in just randomness or despite randomness, but it's, uh, it's opposed to gladness being found in believing that God has lost control. Or perhaps that God created it all, but he stepped back to just let it work itself out on its own. In other words, it makes no sense to tell me that I ought to be happy and glad in this life if this corrupt, dark world is completely random because God has either abandoned it or he can't control it. I mean, how could I have joy in that kind of life? How could I have lasting, unshakable... Happiness if my reality is utterly random because God has abandoned it, or He's simply out of control. He can't control it, He has no power over it. Christian happiness and joy and gladness, the kind the Bible talks about, is actually the only happiness that makes sense. And it makes sense because it says that this world is not random, there's a loving, faithful, righteous God who's behind it all, still at work in all of it, and in control of all of it. He gets the last word. He will get the last word. It means we can see in the biggest catastrophes, or the most mundane moments, or the craziest of coincidences, that God is at work, and God is in control. And God is getting and will get the last word. Now, Everything that the psalmist has said throughout this psalm up until this point, that God created this whole world, that he spoke it into being, that he's good, that he's still at work, and he's still in control, is not enough for your unshakable joy today. It's not enough for your unshakable deep happiness today and today. For the rest of your life. And it's not enough because you and I, as his creatures, as those brought into being by the power of his word, have rebelled against him at every single turn. So it's not enough to be told this because we have rebelled. We pretend like we're our own creators, don't we? We'll create our own reality. My truth is my truth. My right and wrong is my right and wrong. I create it, I make it. I'm my own creator. We pretend like God isn't at work, like there's nothing beyond the stars. There's nothing beyond the natural here. What we see is what we get. We pretend like he's not at work in this world. We pretend like God isn't in control, that we're in control of our own destiny. We're in control of our own fate. There's nothing beyond me controlling this world. At every turn, we have waged war against the God that this psalm has just spoken of. The one who started it all, made it all, spoke it into being and still controls it. And to learn, here's the key, to learn in this psalm that we haven't won, that we've waged war against him but we haven't won, um, that he still is there, that he's still here in control working to creatures like you and I who have rebelled against him is nothing but terrifying. Because what will he do with us? What is this God going to do with us? That's why that's not enough for happiness. Actually, what we just heard is enough to scare the daylights out of you and me as sinners. What has been said is foundational to happiness and joy, but what is said next is principal and central and supreme to your happiness and to my happiness. Look at verse 17. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Here's the key to joy and happiness. The psalmist just said that real happiness is found in knowing that this God is a God of grace. This God is a God of mercy. This God is a God of rescue. This God is the kind of God that enjoys delivering the souls of sinners from death. He just said, that is where joy is supremely found. This is opposed to gladness being found in my own self-righteousness or my own self-deliverance. That this world is all that there is and perhaps there's a God and perhaps I've rebelled against him and my only hope is that I can somehow get on his good side. If you tell me, Colin, you can be happy on this journey of self-salvation, that's crazy. Because self-salvation only brings with it utter despair. There is no joy. There is no happiness to be had. Only fear. You're telling me I'm going to die after this chaotic, crazy life, and yet somehow I'm supposed to be happy? but I'm going to die? How could I possibly have joy? How could I possibly have gladness? Christian happiness and gladness is the only happiness that makes sense, and it makes sense because we have an answer for death. We have an answer for death. We've been given an answer for death. This God loves sinners, and he delivers their souls from death. We cannot miss the weight of verses 16 to 19 that we just read for this psalm and for our understanding Of our Christian life. John Calvin says that the principal part of right worship consists in depending on God's mercy. So that would be opposed to saying the principal part of worship is me cleaning myself up, tucking my shirt in, coming to church, and looking nice for Jesus. He would say, no, it's the utter opposite. The principal part of worship, John Calvin says, is coming dirty. And depending on God's mercy. That is the centrality. That is the center of right worship. And that is what this Psalm is saying. Here's the proof. Look at look at how this Psalm ends in verse 22. Look at how it ends. Verse 22. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. I love this. This Psalm is so lofty, right? This God who created it all and Spoke it into being and controls it all. And then look how the psalmist ends. Look how personal. God, let me know your love for me. Let me know day to day, moment to moment, you love me. Calvin again says this, in touching upon the the psalmist here, in touching upon the fountain of divine love towards us, the psalmist comprehends in one word all that is needed to be desired to make life happy. So he says for the psalmist here to move towards God loves you, Calvin says he just gave you everything you need. No matter what's going on, he just gave you everything you need for happiness. Jesus loves me. This God has delivered my soul from death. Knowing God as gracious towards you is the foundation and focus of our happiness, of real happiness, joy, joy, and gladness. Now, I know what you might be asking. Where is the grace of God for me? Where is the grace of God for me? I have rebelled, like you said, Colin, at every turn. How do I know there's grace for me? How do I know the steadfast love of God is for me and has been given to me? Here's how. The one who made it all, who loves righteousness, who is upright, who loves justice, who's still at work, who still controls it all, that God showed up for you and me. Jesus came. The Son of God took on flesh, and nothing in his life could decimate his joy. He lived this psalm. Hebrews says this of Jesus, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. You're happier than everyone. If you want to model a picture of joy and gladness and happiness, look no further than Jesus, who had gladness beyond everyone around him. And what energized and motivated Jesus to endure the cross? What was set before him? that would energize and motivate him to endure the cross. Verse 19, Psalm 33, verse 19, delivering the souls of sinners from death. Hebrews goes on to say, for the joy that was set before him, before Jesus, for that joy he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus found supreme joy in the work of grace. Jesus found supreme joy in the work of grace and mercy for you. For that joy set before him, I'm going to deliver their soul from death. I'll endure this cross for that joy, for that pleasure, for that gladness that will be mine. So if Jesus found supreme joy in the work of grace, so should we. So should we. That should be our foundation That should be our focus, and then we'll have unshakable joy and gladness. God didn't just come for you. He didn't just come for you. He gladly came for you. He came with joy. It wasn't like, ah, I'm technically a God of grace, so I technically have to come. You know, unfortunately, that's just what I'm like. That's his heart. He gladly came for you. The joy of delivering your soul was set before him. Okay, I'll endure this. I will endure this torment of God's wrath for them. I will stand in their place for them, for the joy set before me. So, so, shout for joy. So, give thanks, make melodies, sing, play a song, sing loudly. God came gladly for you. Amen.